This is Who She Knows, a podcast produced by She Knows Media. And this is your host, Elisa Camelhart page Chief Community Officer for She Knows Media. Today, we'll be talking about the impact we women can have when we share our personal stories, something many bloggers already know a lot about. But so often, we also wonder, is there a memoir in me? Maybe we can answer that question today. We have Tammy Winfrey Harris with us right now, and she's the author of The Sisters Are All Right, Changing the Broken Narrative of Black Women in America. Tammy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, we go, I, I don't even know what year we first um, met each other through Blog Her, but uh, it's really exciting. Way, and it's way, been exciting. way back. I know. And it's been exciting to see your book come out and to see all the thought leadership you're showing in this area. And um, your book talks about this, as you say, broken narrative about black women Mm -hmm. in America, a narrative that's really been thrust upon them. Mm -hmm. And before we dive into the impact and value of Mm -hmm. memoirs and telling your own story, can you break down for us some of the tropes that define this broken narrative you're talking about? Sure. So there are essentially four, um, but you will find variations Mm -hmm. of all of those tropes. You know, they've splintered, they've, um, you know, transformed. Mm -hmm. Um, They are, for the most part, the Sapphire, which is the angry black woman, Um, the Jezebel, which is the hypersexual, unrapeable black woman, Mm. Um, the Mammy, which is the black woman who exists to meet other people's needs. So she is nurturing um, and very often um, undesirable because all of her desires relate to other people. Mm. Um, And then there was a new trope that kind of emerged in the mid 60s. Um, Those first three tropes are are very, very old and rooted um, in great part in slavery. Mm -hmm. But in the the mid 60s, um, thanks to the Moynihan report, we got another trope and it's that of the matriarch. And she kind of embodies a lot of the other tropes. Um, because so she's your single black mother. Mm. So she is, you know, she doesn't, she's not married. She doesn't have a husband. And so, you know, this positions her as being kind of anti-feminine, hard, you know, like the Sapphire. Mm -hmm. She's driven her man away. Um, She is Jezebel in that it's imagined, you know, this unchecked baby making um, Mm. of the matriarch. Um, and you know, she's hated for the ways that she's not like Mammy because instead of being subordinate and nurturing for someone else, she's the head of a household, Mm. which is not the role, which is not the serving role that, um, black women are supposed to play. And you see these tropes being reinforced in multiple channels to this day. I mean, is it primarily media that, that retells these stories over and over again? It's not just media. I mean, it's it's us in many ways. Look at mm. the discussion, for instance, around black women in marriage, which probably reached its peak, I don't know, maybe four or five years ago with the Steve Harvey books and all of those things. Right. So a lot of the criticisms that people had about women and not just media, um, but You know, you heard these things in the pulpit and from, you know, from all kinds of people were that we were too independent, 
that we weren't feminine enough, um, that we weren't, you know, one of the things Steve Harvey said was that he needed to teach women how to be girls again, Mm. um, because we didn't know how to be feminine enough. Look at the conversation surrounding single motherhood as it relates to black women. Um, And you see a lot of that matriarch, Jezebel, Sapphire, kind of thinking. So it doesn't just affect us in the media, it affects us in the way the government chooses to deal with us. It affects us in the way that potential partners look at us. Um, It affects us, you know, how our employers look at us. Mm -hmm. Is there also a body of work of Black women writing their own narratives about their own lives, reclaiming this, that's pushing back on this? Um, and, And do you see this as a growing body of work uh, that that counters what's coming at you, so to speak. Well, thank thank God, yes. Mm. <laughs> and there always, I mean, and there always has been. I mean, look at, I mean, um, uh, seasoned writers that we hear about, like Maya Angelou, and I know why the Cage Bird sings. I mean, there's a long history of Black women, you know, writing about ourselves and telling our own stories, and that's imperative um, because we have to kind of shout our real stories over this like den of negative propaganda Mm -hmm. and I actually think one thing that has helped um, helped move this along and I know we blame the internet for a (laughs) lot of stuff not me not me (laughs) and and it and it may well be responsible for a lot of bad stuff however The one thing that I think that the Internet has done is made it so much more possible for people whose voices are usually marginalized and people who didn't don't always get a seat on Sunday morning programs and in mainstream media to tell their stories. So it's not just through books and news, but it's also through blogs and yes. things that you are starting to see um, black women and other me- women of color telling their stories. Absolutely. And, you know, back when we started Blog Her in 2005 and several few years after that point in time, Pew had done a study on who was blogging and um, they had found that disproportionately women and people of color uh, were using blogging because it was these groups Mm -hmm. that felt like they didn't have a voice on the Sunday morning talk Mm -hmm. shows, on the op-ed pages, on the bestseller lists. And the beautiful part about the blogs was that they had no gatekeeper. You know, anyone could start one. Exactly. Yeah. Is it hard for a black woman to tell her authentic story and not worry about the warts and all, you know, the real things that happen that may not cast a positive light on whether it's her gender or her culture or her ethnicity? Um, and does that feel especially uh, tough? Yes. you are. It seems like you are always, as a Black woman, reacting to someone else's um, vision of you, whether it's true or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, Um, Melissa Harris Perry wrote in her book, Sister Citizen, about the crooked room Mm -hmm. and this idea that, you know, black women have to learn to stand straight in like this funhouse atmosphere where you're surrounded with these skewed pictures of yourself. And she made the point that, you know, very often black women find ourselves sort of twisting to meet the distortion Mm. So fitting into those stereotypes, but a point that I like to make and I make in my book is 
I think even more often we find ourselves twisting away from the distortion. So avoiding doing things that are going to cast us in the light of these stereotypes. Mm -hmm. So when we should be raging and really angry, we're silent. And when Mm. we should be enjoying our sexuality, you know, we're not. And when we should be taking care of ourselves, we don't. Like all of these things that, you know, we should be doing that we don't because we're afraid of, of, of perceptions. And so, you know, that affects the way we tell our stories too. We tell, you know, because, you know, we're under attack. Right. I mean, and that's and that last thing under attack can be Mm -hmm. quite literal. Something Mm -hmm. that came up for me just hearing you speak is that, you know, in the Black Lives Matter movement, which was founded by three queer black women, um, Mm -hmm. so much of the focus of, I would say, not necessarily the people in the movement, but when people think about the movement Mm -hmm. is about black men Mm -hmm. and police brutality. And yet um, Mm -hmm. and women are driving this movement. And yet women are victims of the same brutality. Um, exactly. And, and yet uh, I would say the bulk of the conversation has been about men. And so that's why the say her name hashtag is so powerful because it reminds us this isn't, um, you know, this is about saving, you know, so to speak, ourselves, not just um, serving uh, the men in the movement. Right. It's it's about it's it's comprehensive <laughs> what's being dealt with out there it's... right it's like on the one hand we're we're the ones that have to be responsible for saying our names because mm. no one else will but then on the other hand we also have to battle this idea that if we're saying our names well then maybe we aren't doing justice to our husbands and sons and brothers and fathers and mm. you know there's always we have to step so lightly and around so many minds mm-hmm. that sometimes it's hard to just be your authentic self. Do you have friends who uh, either bloggers or thinking about writing their story that um, come to you for advice about like how to walk this tightrope? Oh, gosh, I, I feel like, well, here's, here's my dirty secret. Okay. Lay it on, on me, this, Tammy. On this, pro, <laughs> on, this, on this program about our about memoir and writing personally. I don't think I'm very good at writing my personal story. I don't have the fearlessness that it takes. I feel a lot more comfortable writing other women's stories, which in very many ways reflect my experiences. But, you know, I have two good friends whose writing I love. And one thing that I love about it is their ability um, to pull from the personal. Um, Disha Filia, who um, is a writer, she's written for Bitch and a lot of, um, you know, other publications. And um, also Carolyn Edgar, Mm. two good friends of mine who, um, who I think do memoir writing very, very well. I happen to suck at that genre. <laughs> well, <laughs> I I doubt you really would. I was that was going to be one of my questions though because this book is clearly an analysis of telling one's story, but you get to be a little bit on the outside telling other people about, you know, telling about other people telling their stories and what about your story. So now we uncover that you don't feel that you would be good at telling your story, but but uh, do you think that the best memoir writing requires that fearlessness to that point of telling real stories about real people who are alive right now 
who may have feelings about it? <laughs> I think, yeah, I think some of it does. Not all of it does. I mean, of course, we always have, there are some stories we have that are just ours to tell. And then there are stories we have that kind of also relate to other people. And I think there are good ways of telling them, um, you know, everyone else can be anonymous, but you, mm-hmm. um, but you know, there's an element of that, you know, even if you hide people's names, you know, it's very often, very often people that are actually in your real life will know exactly what you're right. writing about. Right. Um, so in that area, you, you do have to kind of be fearless and kind of claim the story as your own and what happened as you know, it's, it's yours to tell. Well, let me ask you what you think of, um, you know, there's a famous Anne Lamott quote. Um, mm-hmm. If you had wanted me to write nice things about you, you should have behaved better. <laughs> I'm totally paraphrasing. I'm sure I've gotten it wrong. Yes, I've heard that. So I don't know. I hear that quote all the time and I laugh and I think it's awesome. And like I go, yeah, you go. And then I'm like, I don't think I would ever really do that, though. <laughs> Plus, there, I mean, life is complicated, right? Yeah. So there are people that we interact with that didn't necessarily behave badly, but, you know, there are degrees of behaving badly. Right. Um, or, you know, people who meant well, who may not be positioned in the best light, or, you know, people that you love and you don't want to publicly criticize, like, there, there's there's so much complication in there so it is which is why i i so admire people who can write about themselves really frankly because Mm. it's hard yeah yeah and then you add on top of it the layer of feeling like you're you're going to be representative that you're you know no matter how much this may be your personal story you know you will be representative in some way, which is a problem that a lot of people don't have. They're allowed to be individual in a way. And then the other part of that is minding how you appear in public. That has mm. nothing to do with other people. And that made me think of Samantha Irby. She's mm-hmm. a phenomenal writer. Yeah, she's a great writer. Meaty. And if you read her blog, Bitches Gotta Eat, I mean, <laughs> she is absolutely fearless in writing, in writing about things and of making herself the butt of the joke yep. of, you know, it, it just, it's amazing. Yeah. Or I think of um, Jenny Lawson, the blogger, who writes about, mm-hmm. I mean, she has, she is fearless about revealing her her anxieties and her mental health mm-hmm. issues and not just that she has them and that's so noble to to say you have them but then showing how it manifests writing about the manifestation yes. and that you know you really don't see a lot of people who are just willing to like open up a vein and say when I'm in one of those episodes this is exactly what I think and how I behave and what I do um, and that's uh, an incredible level of bravery you know in my opinion um, and if anything, even when she's writing about her, her husband and their fights and stuff, she's not sugarcoating how, um, you know, she's sometimes the annoying one to live with. She's sometimes the one who's not being rational about a, an argument or, or a situation. So um, that is, uh, and not necessarily with the, I think some people write very self-deprecatingly about themselves looking for the oh, but you're awesome. Here, let me, let me correct your, 
you know, your self-deprecation, yeah. right? <laughs> validation. Looking for yeah, the validation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To write, yeah. to write in a self-deprecating way about yourself without it at all seeming like you are looking for validation is really, uh, I think, a talent not very many folks have. Yes. Yes. It's sort of like it's really hard to write an unlikable protagonist, mm. um, even if you're writing fiction, doubly hard if in a particular story that you are the unlikable <laughs> protagonist, <laughs> because it's hard to have a character that, you, you know, you know, people are going to hate right now. So how do you write a story where people are going to hate you right now? You well, know? and that's what actors always say, that when they're mm-hmm. playing when they're playing a, a quote unquote villain, they don't they can't think of them as just an evil, bad person. Um, no one walks around thinking of themselves uh, that way. I don't know. Is, is, is there a way to prepare yourself for negative feedback on a work that is so personal, which I'm sure your book was so personal, even if it was an analysis? You know, how do you steal yourself for that kind of reaction to something so personal? I didn't get a lot of backlash, even though I think perhaps some of the issues that I raised um, were kind of controversial. Huh. But I think when I have gotten backlash, I wrote an article actually based on things that I had said in my book for Cosmopolitan back in the March issue, and it was about black women and sexuality. And I have to say that that article, on top of being received well by many um, black women, got some backlash. You know, Mm. I got some emails in my box from men who were kind of upset about the idea of, you know, black women taking control of their sexuality. But I found that when you're really when you really believe in what you're writing, um, it makes it easier to take the backlash because I believe I'm right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I had a publisher. Yeah, I had yeah. a publisher say to me once, whatever you write about, make sure you really, really, really believe in it and and right. and are interested in it yourself because you're going to be talking about it forever you know it's going to be part of who you are moving forward um and I think that that's that was excellent advice because it really changed my thinking about not just thinking about now what would be easy what would be good but like what what am I interested in for the rest of my life what what am I going to believe in for the rest of my life um and Uh, right yeah Right. And there was nothing there was nothing anyone that was going to tell me that was going to make me think, you know, my thoughts on women and sexuality aren't regressive enough. I better (laughs) fix that. (laughs) Tammy, really? (laughs) You sure? (laughs) That's awesome. So I kind of read it. And it kind of made me angry a little bit more uh-huh. because there are people that still think like that, but it didn't, it didn't really touch me. And, you know, I think what I told one of my friends right before my book came out is, you know, I really feel like I would feel people could argue with the ideas in the book all day long. If someone said I was a bad writer or it was ter- terribly written or you know, the stories were bad. That's what would hurt. Mm. I think probably most, most writers I know uh, would probably feel the same that they, they believe in what they're saying, 
please don't right. tell them you you don't like how they're saying it because that's the, right that's right. the knife in the back yeah i get you right well tammy thank you so much for joining me it was great talking thank to you, you and great to hear about you know everything that's in your book i urge everyone to go out and buy tammy winfrey harris's book um and uh really it's the sisters are all right changing the broken narrative of black women in america um it's just full of this i think it's full of aha moments you know like yes that is that is what i see when i watch this or that is what i see when i am out there seeing how things are represented um and i think those aha moments um once you're aware of them you can't unsee them and i think that drives change so thank you for writing it and thank you for joining me thank you our next guest is karen taylor the founder and executive director at Right Girl, a nonprofit organization dedicated to empowering girls to learn leadership skills and critical thinking through creative writing and self-expression. Karen will be on a panel at Blog Her 16 this summer about memoir writing, and she's right at the forefront of mentoring our next generation of powerful memoirists. Welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Karen, why don't we start by learning a little bit about you and about Right Girl? Why did you found it? And why do you think creative writing is a tool for empowering girls as leaders? You know, I really believe that teen girls have so much to say, so much to um, believe in for their future. They just need the tools to be able to access their creative voice. I was a mentor to girls in Los, in New York City. And when I moved to Los Angeles, I knew there was nothing like that here. So I started Right Girl to leverage the power of women writers to help mm-hmm. teen girls really evolve their creative energy. So you really bring two groups together, local women writers and then girls, and, and do you pair them up? Or are they in groups? How does yes, it work? it's both, actually. We pair the women writers with teen girls one-on-one, and they there are coffee shops all over L.A. and libraries, community centers, but we yeah. also bring all of them together once a month with a focus on a different genre of writing every month. So one month is poetry, then it's songwriting, then screenwriting, journalism. So by the end of nine months, a girl gets exposed to all these different kinds of writing. So so are the girls, um, girls who have done writing or are identified externally by, say, teachers, or are some of them, you know, have they never written before and this is a new activity for them? You know, it's really all of the above, but I think our mm-hmm. target audience, the girls we're really looking to involve in Right Girl are girls that really aren't getting the resources they need in their communities, mm. at school. So we're really looking at finding girls, and we have been, you know, working with those girls for 15 years now that really don't have the opportunity to develop their creative skills and have the ability to work one-on-one with a mentor. Some of them have a passion for writing already, and they're really interested in finishing a novel or getting a book of poetry together, but some of them really are not even sure what they'd like to do writing-wise, so this becomes sort of an opportunity to explore that. So it's a real mix. And you you guys have sort of an amazing set of results, Mm -hmm. like real-world results from putting these girls through the process of being mentored and using writing as that tool, don't you? Yes, absolutely. I mean, it's been an amazing journey for 15 years of sending 100% of our girls, not only through high school, but enrolling all of them in college. Wow. Yeah, it really speaks to the power of writing and the power of mentoring, because it's really, you can't, what's the word, under, in, 
you can't disengage those two things from each other. It's partly the mm. impact of working with a woman that's really there for you, and then it's partly the process of a girl developing her voice and understanding how to really put her ideas and her family history and her own identity on paper. And that's, of course, a huge part of the college application process is that essay, right. you know. Right. Have you observed over the years sort of common milestones of, of how – how do their stories change and how do they change as they begin to gain confidence about telling their stories? Oh, What's the evolution? There's so much evolution that we witness even in one workshop. Sometimes a girl comes in with the hoodie on and kind of, you know, not really wanting to be there because her mother dragged her there. And by the end of the <laughs> workshop, she's waving around a piece of paper going, can I get on the microphone and read this because I wrote this thing and I really want to share it. So we see the evolution of a girl in one day, but then over time, there's some real milestones that a girl reaches in terms of, okay, now I'm really able to understand where I come from and what I feel about mm. my family, my neighborhood. Okay, now I really understand how to set goals for myself, for my future. Okay, now I'm really thinking beyond college to what I might want to do with my career. So it's really an evolution over time, and time is really our friend. When In the world of mentoring, the more time a girl can have with a mentor over time, the more impact that the mentoring program will have on that girl's life. Do you see them... Um sort of begin to validate themselves, you know, what their story is important, their perspective is important. Um, to me, that's what I imagine might be one of the most empowering things is to sort of get a sense of self-validation and, and appreciation of one's own unique voice. Definitely. I, yeah. That's really true. And, you know, what? one of the things that we always come back to at Right Girl is that we don't have any competition, and it's on mm. purpose so that every girl has this feeling of I'm important, my story's important, I'm as valuable and important as the next girl, whether she's focused on the goth world and wears all black or mm. she, you know, is a girl that's totally into Shakespeare or whatever their interests are. And that's incredibly valuable. Girls don't really have that opportunity to be in a space where they're really valued for whatever unique qualities they bring. Now, that's so interesting because uh, starting back in 2008, we introduced what is now called Voices of the Year to the Blogger Conference. And it's a juried writing initiative. People submit. Well, now it's writing. They also submit images. They also submit video. I mean, it's expanded a lot over the years. And from the beginning, we also did not want to call it a competition with winners. Um, it was about honoring the work. And so we had lots of different categories and lots of different honorees. And it's it's challenging, actually. The language, it sort of seems like the culture, our culture has a language of wanting to talk about winners. Um, yeah. That they've, they've, they've won. And, and so it's, it's awkward or it's, it seems like this unnecessary syllable to say honorees and to, to avoid that winning, losing uh, binary. But we have stuck to that for all these years now because it's similar to you. We just think it's so important to validate all these different voices are out there and some of them are funny and some of them are tragic and some of them are insightful and sharp and some of them are beautiful images and they're each honored on their own as, uh, you know, they each have their own merit, so That's to speak. That's great to hear because we really obviously just share that view that, mm. you know, it's it's um, really important to be able to honor it, the different things that are brought to the table and know that everybody's at a different place of in their evolution as a writer, as a woman, as a girl, as a human. 
and mm-hmm. you know that the contest the winner loser thing there is only ever one winner if you do have a contest and everybody else kind of leaves feeling like well I wasn't the one that was chosen. and mm-hmm. that's the mm-hmm. very concept that we're trying to get away from so that um girls really have this feeling like I count I matter I'm important you know are they writing about tough subjects and sometimes about tough things about people who are actually alive do you ever do they ever experience fear or trepidation about that are they asking for advice about how to manage that I mean one of the things we're going to talk about at the conference is about you know the challenge of writing a memoir when the people are alive and you know that's all very really really um, interesting subject areas that we often get into with our girls in terms of discussing we really have that open discussion with the girls about let's make some good decisions here about what the purpose of this writing is. Is this a self-reflective piece that is really about self-discovery or is this a piece that you really want to, you know, one of the girls wrote dump Donald Trump, for example, a poem and (laughs) she was dying to read it in front of the whole group and as many audiences as she possibly could, you know, it was like she had this strong sentiment and really wanted to share it out in the world. Um, some of the girls share very intimate personal pieces, and we really have a discussion with them about, you know, is, is this person still in your life? Are you certain you'd want to put this in print and have us publish it in a book where this person might, you know, have an adverse reaction? Our first priority is really the safety of our girls. So right. it's essential that we really help them navigate through the choices of what they share publicly. But we have a policy of at our private workshops, which are member-only events, we really encourage our girls to share anything and everything. Anything goes, you know. Mm-hmm. They they have complete freedom to express it all in that safe, contained environment that we provide, right. you know. When they get to the point where they're willing to put it down on paper, some of the challenging stuff, some of the perhaps unpleasant stuff in their life, some of the hard stuff in their life, if they get to the point where they've been able to write it out, um, are they kind of past a point, most of them, where they're like, and now that I've done this, I really want to share it? Or do you bring some people back? I think it's really individual. I, I think mm-hmm. their stories are so diverse and so all over the place, and their stages of life are also so different that I think mm-hmm. we really treat it, every girl and every situation as an individual case and really try to help her navigate through that in terms of what's going to be the most empowering and impactful for her, given everything we know about her life and her circumstances and her situation. So, you know, we're constantly kind of working with, well, let's let's delve deeper into um, what is going on in this girl's life and where is the craft of writing? Because ultimately we're not a group of social workers helping girls. We're creative mm-hmm. writers mm-hmm. trying to help a girl develop her voice in terms of the most impactful writing she could do. And then the discussion of audience is, is intermingled with that. Who is going to be, who is it for? Who's going to read it? But the craft of writing is always what we come back to. And that's inevitably where they need the greatest guidance. How do we make right. this a piece of writing that is going to be really strong regardless of the content? Oh, yeah. And that, that I guess, gives you this constant other, you know, true north to look to, which can, I I guess sometimes we all need to step away from our own story and like have a sense of objectivity about it um, at some point. Yes. Um, And and view it with the craft of writing in mind, you know, that's a great lens for for having that moment where you can step back and think about the big picture, the consequences. That's really interesting. Absolutely. Um, So, so Karen, are you going to write a memoir? (laughs) Such a good question. You know, it's like, it's that yo-yo of, um, are you in life or are you watching 
and, and writing about life, you know, and for the last few years, I've been so in my life, just so actively being an activist for girls and a, a passionate um, leader of girls and women that uh, my writing life has been relegated to Twitter, Facebook. and Oh, my gosh, I feel you your know. pain. Yeah, but that's I, I mean, that's I do think about it, but I feel, feel like I don't want to write a memoir. For me, at this moment in my life, I'd like to write something that really motivated people to actually act, you know, because there's a lot of memoirs out there, but I think a lot of people are craving the idea of, well, what can I do? What is, yes. you know, so I, I'd kind of like to write a how-to guide on to how to follow your passion, how to, you know, take steps to have a, a really passionate life where you go to a job and you do a thing that you really love doing. <laughs> Well, but I hate to tell you, for you to tell other people how to do that, your story's going to be a big part of it. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, both my parents have passed away now, so maybe it's getting closer to the time when I can write my, oh my own God. memoir. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? That's when you start to have freedom, right? Yes, Real it is. freedom. <laughs> it is. It truly is. I mean, I think that is always a concern for, for me as well as for my girls is, you know, are we writing to be just self-expression or are we writing to empower others? And it's such a choice when it comes to memoir because, you know, just truth telling is not enough. That's, that's just one dimension of it. But what about what are the real goals of what you're trying to accomplish through your writing, you know, for yourself and for others? Yeah, I totally uh, agree. So, Karen, you know, congratulations on everything you've built and also that you've been doing it for 15 years and just how many, girls you've been able to help and I, I think it's amazing they're the record they have of getting through high school and going on to college and all of that I mean that's that's something you can point to for the rest of your life and is an amazing uh gift really to those Thank girls you. but also to also to the community for helping to create such wonderful um contributors to you know such citizens well right? thank you you're you're absolutely right thank you for that that last comment is really what drives me when I think about the girls graduating from college and the desire that they have to want to give back and be part of the community go back to their home community serve you know on nonprofits or do work that is truly benefiting others that is the most rewarding thing on the earth for me to go to bed at night and wake up in the morning knowing that our girls are making those kinds of choices that's pretty fantastic it is fantastic so thank you so much for coming and telling your story i can't wait for you to come to blog her and share that story with a wider audience and uh, really excited to to have that panel come to life and bring this topic to life and thank you for joining us on the show it was great talking to you oh it was great being on the show i'm really looking forward to the conference i'm getting all fired up just thinking about it yeah me too i'll see you in august see you then That's it for this episode of Who She Knows, a She Knows Media podcast. We're taking next week off for the 4th of July holiday, but we'll be back the week after when we'll be talking about the power of crafting the perfect pitch about your business, your big idea, your blog, or your background. I'll speak with powerhouse women, including Majora Carter and Sally Krawcheck, who have been on both sides of the table, pitching and being pitched too. I'm your host, Elisa Camahort-Page, Chief Community Officer at She Knows Media. Please tweet me at Elisa C. Or leave a message for us on the Blogger or She Knows Media Facebook pages. We want to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening and have a great holiday.